I'm sitting here with one of our members, Felicia Pecora. Is that right? Yes. Yes! We were just talking about I was going to mess that up, and I did not. And uh, she came prepared and gave me. So, uh, Felicia, you were a public servant for 30 years. Is. Still. Or you still are. I'm sorry. Still happening. Public servant for 30 years. Sorry. See, this is why we don't read things. I read it just like I was... So, you're a public servant. You've been in the industry of public service for 30 years. You're in the military. You're police. Fire by police academy. Police, police. I'm. Uh, I was in the army for eight years, the reserves. Deployed yeah. a couple times, so a combat vet, and um, I've been a police officer for 22 years and still going. Still going as a cop. Yeah, my hip's still working, the arm's still working. <laughs> That's awesome. And you have a new startup, basically, right? Like a company. Well, it's um, it's been around since 2017, but it's had um, part of what I'm, I'll be talking to you about today, probably regarding crisis management, is when. The unprecedented happens. Yeah. And uh, how you how not to lose everything. How yeah. to be able to pick it back up. Yeah, I, you and my brother should just get down and hang out because he's always thinking about the crisis management. Good for him. All yeah, yeah, always thinking. Hey, you should think of this. I didn't think of that. Yeah, you need to think of this. You know, so he's in which he is ex mil ex army. See, and uh, <laughs> army, everything goes wrong, and you just gotta fix it and keep going. Yeah, so we're gonna talk about it. it's the Doer Academy, Doer Dash Academy .com. We'll talk about that towards the end. But let's let's hear about you. Where are you from? Are you from Tampa? Are you from? No, I moved here for the job. I actually, um, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. And so when I moved to Tampa, the water was on the wrong side. It took me a long time to figure out that was west and not east. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it made my first couple of years as a cop very interesting, <laughs> especially in pursuits. Oh, really? Oh, uh, we pause. He's going. Oh, he's not going east. He's going west. <laughs> So you guys would be in a pursuit, <laughs> the sun's setting and the sun's rising, or what? Uh, I, when the beginning, when you're a police officer, you usually work nights, so okay. I had nothing to really stare by to figure oh, it out. No. It came eventually. But you're like, he's going east. <laughs> no, I'm really sorry. He's going west. The, the water's not to the east, the water's to the west. Right. Unless you're on the peninsula in the bay, and then it can go all sorts of ways. And then you got the river, and then you got the, the bay, and then I'm like, oh, what the heck? I never thought how hard that would be. It's difficult. Oh, I'm sorry. So, so you're from the other coast, or the other side, east side, and so I, um, I actually, interestingly, um, I got my degree in criminal justice, and at the time it was the easiest, easiest degree I could get. So I'm like, you know, aim high, <laughs> GI Bill, and um, I got hired by the U.S. Marshal Service, um, and I was all ready to go, and I was super excited when I graduated, but then they had a hiring freeze. Uh, and they're like, you know, just wait it out, and then you'll be able to go to an academy. Well, while I was waiting at it out, I was like, well, let me just go to, I'll go to like um, uh, an MMA school to kind of keep my mm -hmm. fitness up. And I met this guy, Lou Hicks, okay. who was a Master Chief for Navy SEAL Team 6 in his day, and was also the uh, director of um, physical, the physical and defensive tactics part of the uh, police academy. And what the police academy was, was a federally funded academy back in the 90s when um, they had the big police omnibus bill and they put a whole bunch of money into police training. It's kind of the, it's when police officers, when we became more professional than just like, you know, giant people that just were like, you will have order. We became a little bit more professional in the 90s and so um, there was different police corps in different states and um, I had a choice between five agencies 
and I picked Tampa, and so I moved here for the job. So in I didn't know anything about it. No, in 2000. In 2000, okay. Right before 9-11. Right before 9-11. Yep. So, um, like, I, my forehead pretty much said rookie for the first five years because I was just like, hi, I'm from Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know anything about anything, and um, it was a... I got a great education. I was lucky with great trainers. I had great bosses, especially in the first few years. Like, I really, uh, God was looking out for me because um, I definitely, I probably wrote a lot of large checks that I couldn't cash with, and you know, without uh, bigger partners being with me because I was kind of fearless but not smart about it. Gotcha. Like, I uh, I got surrounded one time. Well, this is an interesting story. So the police corps, they really pushed um, community-oriented policing. That was the, when I first came on, that was the big thing. And that was, we were all about it at the police corps. Um, so when I showed up, that's all I knew. So it was very much about, like, whatever it takes to help people, that's what you got to do. And so um, there was a guy, uh, he was a little bit, uh, not right in the head, mm -hmm. slightly mentally ill. He had been in prison, and he had these massive prison muscles. Um, and he had gotten into a fight and gotten stabbed, and he was, like, bleeding. And I was pseudo-chasing him to try to get him to stop so the ambulance could take him to the hospital. And he would get down, and he would do push-ups, and blood would come out. It was like, what the heck? And he's like, don't worry about it, Mama. Don't worry about it, Mama. <laughs> and his name was Tony Dent. God bless him. Tony, buddy, come on. you got to get in the ambulance. And so I followed him all over. He used to be a, a old public housing called Central Park. Followed him all over Central Park until finally... I found out who his mom was. I was like, get his mom in here. <laughs> so his mom came, and he was. we were able to get him on the gurney, um, fire, fire rescue. You know, they. I can't believe he was still alive with all that blood gone. So fast forward about six months later, I got transferred to Knights, and I'm in the middle of Central Park again, and it's this domestic violence investigation. And this woman's face is just so, it's so beaten, and I've never seen anything like mm. this before. That I am, of course, you know, I've got the righteousness of the sword, I'm going to find this person, single-handedly. So, like an idiot, I don't tell anybody, <laughs> I don't tell anybody, hey, I'm going down this dark alley over here, because there's a bunch of people, I'm going to ask them if they've seen the suspect. And as I turned the corner, there used to be this school right in the middle of the um, housing complex, and it had a six-foot-tall chain-link fence. So I walk up to these guys, there's five of them, and um, my back's to the fence. I mean, it's all tact tact uh, tactical here, right? I'm like the smartest kid on the planet. Well, they surround me, and they're like, no, we haven't seen And you could, I, the menacing stares, and I know looking back that they were, you know, not, not too fond of the police. <laughs> but at the time, when I first approached them, I had no idea. But when they, when they spread out and surrounded me, and nobody knew I was over there, and it was just dark and quiet, and it was just us. Um, I was like, have you guys seen da, 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 whatever his name was? And they are like, no, we haven't seen anybody. And I was like, mm. And then all of a sudden, you hear this voice from behind him, and Tony stuttered, God bless him. And he's like, hey, Officer Pico, you remember me? And I, I look, and there's Tony Dent. And they all, it was like the parting of the sea. Because Tony, when I tell you I had prison muscles, this guy was the strongest guy on the planet. He's like, y'all need to step back. I was like, Tony, so good to see you, buddy. Hey, how's your yeah. mama? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so he was grateful because you saved his life, basically. And I was grateful because he probably saved mine. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny how that works, huh? Yeah. The reciprocity, right? Totally. And that's yeah. really, I hope my career's been about, been about, you know, you treat people with respect and, you know, you see the humanity in them. And it all comes back. I have done mm. so many stupid things. 
in my life, in my career, that by the grace of God, I've been able, either able to um, rectify it or yeah. make amends for or fix it before it became a problem. It's so, I mean, we have a couple members here that uh, went to college, we'll say that, right? And, uh, and got rehabilitated and processed through how that worked. And, and they're just vibrant members of society now. Right. And you would never even know that they had that life in them. And it was somebody gave them a shot. Someone was kind to them. And somebody, you know what I mean? Like they, they, they got mentored. They got into some type of a church or into, you know, and just really began to, because so much of that stuff on the streets is just, a lot of it's fatherlessness. A lot of it's yeah. lack of guidance. It's lack of understanding. It's hitting a glass ceiling. It's hopelessness. You know, it's hopelessness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't, what else can I do other than right. X, Y, right. or Z? That's exactly right. I, well, the funny thing is, is um, my family hated the police. When I grew up, my dad hated the police. My brothers have all been arrested. I'm the only one in my family never been arrested. Um, well, me and my my stepsister. Um, and it was a very. I grew up in a very violent household, mm -hmm. and so like you know, I to to imagine myself, especially when I was a kid, uh, to become a police officer. Never. It was never even a blip on the radar. So like by you know, whatever you know, the work of the universe getting me to meet Lou Hicks, and him suggesting I try out. Why don't you try uh, wow. police corps? Why don't you try being a cop? I'm like, I want to be a cop. Why would I want to be a cop? <laughs> it's like all they do is give you tickets. He's like, no, it's not. It's not just that. that. Huh? Who knew? And yeah. then I could when I first joined, I couldn't believe they paid me to do it because it was mm. amazing. It was so much fun. So now there are a lot of really great cops out there. Have you ever been with any bad cops where you're just like, this guy should not be a cop? Well, I was no names or nothing. Just... I was a training officer yeah. for several years, and, and the ones that really didn't do very well, you know, they either resigned because they couldn't make it, or um, we've had some people that they had the heart, but they didn't have the, like they weren't able to write. And you ha and to be a police officer, you have to be able to write well. You have to be able to communicate mm -hmm. what happened, so either for prosecution or for, you know, stuff to be done with it. Uh, so... You know, I helped people, one of the things I did was help remediate people in report writing. And I've taught defensive tactics since 2002. So we've had people that have struggled with, um, um, especially small, look how small, small officer. I'm not a big person at all. And one of the reasons I became a defensive tactics instructor was to show that it's not size. It's a, you know, although it's I technique, love... technique, right? Technique, and, and I'm a fan of the ambush. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not going to just say, put them up, put them up. <laughs> But um, for me, anyway, we're going after a bad guy. Um, so the ones who were bad, the ones that um, had bad character, they've been found out and either fired or uh, jailed mm -hmm. or, you know, released before they hit the street, thank God, because it shows up in training. Our training is pretty intense. Yeah. So I can't mention the agency because I'm here as myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well so, so with that, because I mean, so many people are, are I know... For the longest time, it's kind of cooled down a little bit, but for the longest time, you know, there was a lot of political unrest towards police officers and and and, um, and just, you know, talking about police reform and all these different things. And and how, how do you respond to that personally? Well, there's a saying we have is nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. Mm. And so um, when George Floyd happened, I was as incensed as anybody else, but I understood that especially in the black community, that it was, it's, it's like, um, it's like if you had, um, brothers or sisters or uncles or whatever that had been, you know, there's a family in the, in the, in your town that keeps, uh, doing something bad to your family. 
and then there's been a long time where, where things hadn't happened, and then out of nowhere they did something bad again. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It, it was in your family, you know what I mean? You're not yeah. the one who was like, but you are incensed because why? Yeah. Why does this keep happening? And I, I absolutely understood that because, you know, as a police officer, unfortunately one of the first lessons you learn, you show up with this idealism. I'm, in, I'm here to change. I'm going to change the world. Yay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you realize, you know, you want to help people and they lie to you. Or, you know, you want to you wanna help this poor woman whose face is beaten in. And when you arrest the guy who did it, she jumps on your back to try to stop you from arresting. And, and so there's some immediate lessons that you had no idea because there's so many dimensions to why people stay in the cycle of violence, all that kind of stuff, which I'm certainly not qualified to, like, dig into. But I can tell you the, the lesson is, you know, I tried to do something good and you turned on me. And I'm... I imagine for citizens, when they're co-op, like, we have a great partnership in the area that I work with citizens. We, we really, even people that come over from other agencies that start working with us, they're like, wow, it's different. So that is really, that's, that's to the, that's, we, we really make a point of trying to maintain that. But so when something happens with a person in a, in a police uniform somewhere else, it's still like a smack in the face because, man, I've spent all, you know, I reformed my life, like you're saying. I did all these things. Why are you still doing this? But it's not me. It's not, it's not you know, my, my people. It's not the people that I'm, like, you know, working with. It could be a guy in Minneapolis. It could be a guy, in, you know, in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. well, but so they're writing checks that we all have to cash. Yeah. That's, that's part of the training that we teach our new officers is, you know, you wear a uniform. You, you don't, nobody knows you have two minutes on. You wear the same uniform I yeah. wear. And so you're expected to have the same level of... Standards. Of, yeah, same standards yeah. and same concern and all of the things. So it, it, it sucked to witness that, nine minutes. It, that's, hard. that's hard. And I've seen, I've had a man die in my arms. Mm. That was hard to watch. And then the civil unrest that we had, we had um, bottle rockets shot at us. Mm -hmm. So magnesium burns at 3,000 degrees. <laughs> that was pretty, that was pretty hairy. And then... Um, you know, the first time that happened, uh, it was about a, th um, I think the whole ruckus kind of lasted about 30 hours. And um, the main thing was, you know, the officers, I, I was a uh, sergeant at the time, the officers on the line, we were there to protect the protesters because to make sure they had the right to speak, no matter what they said. So some of them were facing the officers and, and you know, saying all these horrible things. And I was, you know, patting shoulders and stuff, saying, I appreciate you making sure this person has the right to, and just whispering in their ear, appreciate you making sure, making sure these guys have the right to say whatever they want, because that's what it is to protect the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we got through, we did not have any incidents at all where, where you know, cops were heavy-handed. And matter of fact... This was like the, the stuff that was going on with Fowler and all that stuff, right, that we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that was going on. Yeah, that was... Uh, <clears throat> I don't look too far from there, so we were watching very closely what was going on. Yeah, that was... Um, and I think it was very unexpected because... Um, well, I think it was... I shouldn't say it was unexpected. I think that it was just... Uh, it was hard to for uh, the, the powers that be to expect that because we had had such a good, or we still do, we have such a good relationship with uh, our citizens. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, we've had, inc you know, incidents where, uh, you know, officer involved shooting and, 
you know, the agency is very quick to get information out there and no, you know, no unrest. This was, this was more than just, you know, the, 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 the city or the county or the state. This was national. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it was more than national. It was, it was uh, global. I, I would say because of something what other cities went through, ours was actually very light, and I think, um, oh, yeah. I think our city did a great job. Um, I think, you know, I, I have a lot of friends. We've had a lot of great discussions about this, a lot of listening on my end, you know, a lot of great times of, of listening. Um, with uh, just just trying to understand the pain, and I've I've kind of processed through this principle of macro versus micro. I think we talked about this maybe a little bit, but um, like macro philosophy is this like macroeconomics, right? The GDP, what's going on when a government does this or acts. Microeconomics is what's in your wallet, right? Right. So there's these different positions, and then it's the same thing with pain. And everything else. There's macro worldviews and there's micro worldviews. You can have two people arguing against a subject, and one of them is sorry, one of them is prospectively watching from a micro perspective, and the other one's watching and arguing from a macro perspective, and they're arguing about the exact same thing, and they're actually both right. Right. It's a yes, <clears throat> and that's what makes this so complex of an issue, um, because it's actually two sides of a coin of a yes, and that's why we need to be civilized and be a society right. where we actually dialogue and understand the other side of the coin and then create em empathetic movements and social impacts through local, I believe even private efforts. Right. Um, a lot I, of, I agree with you It's the private it. efforts locally that will actually make and embark serious change, not quickly, but over a 20, 30, 40, 50 year movement. It's a, it has, it's a cultural change. It's, it's, but it's also having someone, yeah, it's cultural change and knowing your, your, your voice matters equally with everyone else's voice, right. and just because someone's a minority voice doesn't mean that they shouldn't be listened to, and just because someone's a minority voice doesn't mean it should make all the movement and all the change, and there's this delicate right. dance, but the micro and macro of pain is very, uh, this analogy of this, so I have a friend of mine, an old, a, a previous business partner, they, 30 something years ago, had a horrible tragedy, their daughter is two years old, went into a hospital for a routine procedure ended up passing away. Wow. They put her to rest, buried her, a week later had another baby. Horrible season, right? And so let's say my wife my wife had a very high risk pregnancy a couple years ago. Thank God everything worked out. She survived, the baby survived, he's almost two. But let's just say something happens and my almost two year old dies today. Mm -hmm. And I'm holding him lifeless in my arms. It just happened within seconds. Horrible tragedy. I'm just raw. I'm feeling this. And my friend comes up to me and goes, Isn't it amazing that both of our children are in the arms of God right now? And you go, I'm going to punch you in the throat. Yeah, right? That's, that's not the moment. Now, the reality, exactly right. The reality is what's the difference there? He has had 30 years of processing, of healing, and of, of, of right. growth to realize the beautiful perspective. Even though the pain is still there, he's chosen to respond with his faith and says, yes, but this baby is, I'm going to see this baby again. I'm going to see my daughter again. Right. Now, he can say that to me right now. You know, you're going to see your son again. They're together right now. That's not the time. It's not the time. Right. I'm going to hit you right in the throat. You're I'm not gonna at get, that bridge. I am so raw and right. so hurt and in such pain that I just need you to come and give me a hug right. and let me cry. I, don't, I just need you to shut up. And the best thing people can do is recognize where you are. Mm -hmm. And that is, to me, 
what what the the best police officers recognize where people are and they meet them where they are. Yeah. And if they're if they're where they're at is a either a dangerous spot or, you know, uh, not in a safe place, not um, not in a kind place, or not in you know if they're in a destructive place, helping people, you know, come meet me yeah. a little bit, come come here a little bit. Don't yeah. I'm not going down there, and that is really hard to do, especially, um, you know, in a in a average twenty year uh, career, the average person has about six to eight major traumas in their life. The average police officer has about six to eight traumas or sees six to eight traumas every month. Think of that. Think of that. Yeah. And and so by year 10, think of all the things they've seen uh, and all those layers that build up. Um, and and I can tell you in my generation and the ones even before me, man, you just, Generation X, you just, you know, suck it up, buttercup, right? Keep driving on, keep moving on, which is not... Not healthy. I've since learned. Not healthy, yeah. Not the right answer. Yeah. But, um, you know, to be able to, I've been lucky. There's been some officers I've worked with who, you know, they didn't want rank. They just wanted to be officers, and mm -hmm. they were officers for 20, 25 years. And they were able to talk to people and talk people, you know, out of suicide, talk people out of, um, you know, ha having a hostage, mm -hmm. talk people out of all kinds of things. And then um, I've known other people, especially SROs, the school resource officers, they they see kids in the schools and then the kids remember them when they become adults and then they get to see the the kids that that they were the SRO at their school those people as adults bring their children and even if the kid ends up in a in a life of crime there's this respect that the SRO gets that you don't even think about you know it doesn't even occur to you how important the SRO is in the in the life of a kid that goes to public school mm. It's beyond just you know the school shooter. It has everything to do with like uh, if they don't have fathers, or you know if they don't have a good representation of what an adult woman is. These SROs are, they're they're, they're one of the first lines along with the teachers. So no none of them are yeah. none of them are appreciated, and they're huge huge um, modelers for kids, especially in you know in the United States. It's they're huge. Yeah. They play a big important role. The state the things that the complexity of our society, the complexity of our world that people don't have a dialogue and talk about hardly is just you know, and, and it, it's very difficult too when you're kind of everyone's in their own zone, everyone's in their own lane, and everyone has a filter of normalcy. Right. Right. And and a lot of stuff I talk about is normal is relative. Yeah, totally. Normal is completely relative to your exposure. Um, my father later in my life when I was nineteen ended up um, struggling with a major crack addiction mm. and so I've seen the depths the darkness of that side of the world so when I'm coming out not coming from resources or anything like that you know going growing up a pretty modest life blue-collar life you know as a kid over clear water to now you know um, doing building some of these houses and learning core and, and and things like that I'm very comfortable walking around the streets right. of our sites where some people are really literally scared right and uh, you know, and knowing like I know how to respect the streets, I know how to bring honor to these people, and at the same time, I give them a warning, and then, well, you just broke up into my building. Of course, the cops gonna arrest you, you know, because right. we have cameras. I already warned. I pre-warned you. We're putting cameras up. Please leave. You know, those type of things. You do those squatters, you, and 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 it's it's one of those things. But I have a heck of a lot more empathy with a guy who's on the street corner struggling or, or mm -hmm. high, right? You know, because I understand like there's pain that goes into that. 
it's not justifiable. We can kind of get into that too because we've worked on some of the same blocks, me as a real estate investor, and I think we, we picked up on that. Like oh, yeah. you did some undercover work oh, right yeah. early on, probably on the street that I live on now. I think is what we were talking about. Were we? Was that a? I've, I've, uh, it was a, I've been undercover. There, there's a motel off just north of Sly, off Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. All the motels. Yeah. So I, that starts with an H. I don't know if I want to say yes. it. Yes. So I, I live right there on that street yeah. and I built two houses next That's to that right. motel. That's right. That's right. We were talking about that. And it was awful. I mean, oh my gosh, like defecating on the side of the house yeah. every other day, the Porta John. I mean, I remember. I don't know if I should say this, on, on, but I remember standing on top of like instruments that would, people would use uh, in the middle of an open house. Oh, like crack pipes? Yeah, yeah, up? yeah, yeah, yeah. Standing on top of it while showing a house. Yeah. The day we closed, somebody had left their suitcases on the back porch of one of the houses. I go, oh my gosh! And those are the deal. Like, but I remember working with with uh, with uh, Tampa Police Department there. And uh, and just really being a citizen and actually like working on cleaning up the area, right? Uh, and having the roads patched. Well, I tell you what, stuff. that is the difference in our with that city and other cities. That's the difference because you worked with the police, and that's why the area is clean. Yeah. In areas where people don't work with the police, if they don't get cleaned up. I literally built my the house I live on right now. It's on that street, mm -hmm. two blocks down. Like, you were part of that urban, you know, uh, yeah. transformation, yeah. Yeah, but with a heart though too, because it's like we're also trying to educate um, the poor that are getting moved out, because that, right. that's one of the hardest parts is watching people not realize what's happening. Yeah. You know, and then it's just the economics of it all, but then the social aspect of it all, you know. So let's talk about your time undercover though, because that's, I mean, I've been on that corner before. I, I helped direct. I was you directly. Me. I, I was directly a part of that corner. Um, and I might have been approached by an undercover cop, I don't know, but I, I for sure passed the test, I'll tell you that. But there was several approaches on that corner while we were building these houses, and I've done this on multiple corners. I told you the other corner, right there in Hillsborough too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Hillsborough and 15th. What, you saying hi to the ladies? No, no, we built houses there. I'm oh, building houses, my bad. Yeah, no, I don't see that, no, no. no there, there was a, a non-lady dressed like a lady, mm -hmm. and that was, that was heartbreaking, because he was actually a pretty, pretty nice person. Yeah, just you know. That sick. is hard. I I remember these uh, two fifteen-year-old twin twin boys that um, they wanted to go out because they want they like the money, mm -hmm. and you know we spent like every time we see them we were like man what's going on at home and they're like nothing. I'm like no offense, but you're fifteen. It's four o'clock in the morning and you're trying to prostitute yourself. Something has to be happening. How can we help you? And and they just never, either they never trusted us or they're, you know, it's just strange the choices people make. But that is where policing has to start from something's not right, how can we help? Yeah. Before it gets to, you're breaking the law, get in the back, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a whole gamut, of, and most cops run that whole gamut. And that's why it's such an emotional toll on us because if we were just robots, and we just beat everybody up, and you know, I am the law. We the the suicide rate wouldn't be what it is. You'd be in in, a, in another country as right. a cop. You, you know, that's what happens in other countries. Yeah, the suicide rate for police officers in um, you know countries where like you have to have your your papers on you and stuff mm -hmm. like that is nothing like it is here. Mm -hmm. Because here there's a when you become a police officer for most right there's a bell curve there's always bad cops but there's always stellar cops too and there's mm -hmm. the rest of us who are just I'm high I'm mediocre just showed up to try to help 
You know, I don't make all the greatest decisions, but mm -hmm. I try. You know, that's most of us. And, and I think most citizens recognize that. Yeah. And if you're honest with citizens, you know, I screwed up. I didn't mean to, you know what, I, I was wrong about the law. Oops. Let me arrest you. My bad. I've never had a problem with anybody. You know, you match, you wear the same, you know, you're, we were looking for a guy with this shirt, this pair of pants, and walking around with headphones on. I thought it was you. thought it was you. My bad. Crest you off, test you off. Thanks for not resisting. Yeah. <laughs> or if you did resist, ah, if you wouldn't have resisted, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to charge you with resisting. How about that? Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's where so much of the delicate dance comes it's from. It's a right? dance, yeah. Because society doesn't understand. No, they want... And, and cops don't understand, too. Like it's, right. it's, it's, it's double because you get filtered. You get this normal filtration system on both sects where it becomes separate sex almost right. of people and that's why like you have we have to figure out what's a healthy metric well you have to remember metric. the why you have to remember your why yeah. we have people i've had people call the police grown men call the police and say that um their grown you know brother won't give them the remote so i, I as a supervisor i was like why would we go to that yeah. So I'm like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go to that. And I told the guy, I'm like, let me just make sure I understand what you called us for. You wanted an armed agent of the government to come get the remote from your brother? Is that why I'm here? And he was, of course, he'd been drinking, the brother had been drinking. I understand it was to prevent a fight, but, you know, at some point, you have to take responsibility. You have to be responsible for yourself. And, and not everything, the police cannot solve every single problem out mm -hmm. there. And that, I think... Um, you know, going back to something else that you had said, the most American thing you can do is disagree with somebody peacefully. That's true. That is a, the most American thing you can do. And, and to get into conversations with people where you don't agree, uh, and you may say something that, you know, it seems like now everybody's offended by every single thing. I don't understand that because we're losing the, the, the best part of our country is the, the dialogue. Critical thought. The critical thinking and new information and, you know, we're losing that. And we're becoming, it's like this, you know, society now, it, it seems like, or I should say, the, the information out there makes it appear as if society wants robots. And they don't want discretion. They don't want somebody to be, you know, consider all the things, maybe he doesn't go to jail today. They want, everybody wants a report. I don't care if I, I have to go to jail too. You know, all of these, it's just like I'm taking my but, ball and going and home. Sometimes the system's home. broken too, right? Totally. Sometimes, like we actually just were victims to, of the system last week on uh, a statutory issue that we didn't do anything wrong at all, nothing at all, yet somehow are liable of, of something and basically got legal extortion because mm -hmm. we had resources. And so yeah. it was a civil matter? It was a civil yeah. matter, yeah, that you just go, I didn't even know this occurred. What, what are you talking about? And it was, I talked to, I called a buddy of mine who's an amazing local judge here, and he goes, man, I'm really sorry. The law's set up for people, and you got caught in the crosshair of that. You're right, you shouldn't, mm -hmm. but this is the law. You're the statutory liability, and there's all these threats. And, right. And you go, man, that is very infuriating when you've done nothing wrong, yet you get blamed for something that you right. never did. You know, and so that you can relate to that principle of somebody. Oh, totally. Well, you know, getting back to like the PTSD aspect of even, you know, that micro versus macro pain point, right? And, and you have an officer who was just attacked by somebody. There's a level of movement there. Then somebody else who was trained their entire life to hate this person at the same time. 
and now there's this major ex escalation of norm normal thinking in themselves without the healthy measurement tools. They go, is this a healthy way to process? Right. Is this should this guy be on the streets right now? On both sides, right? right? And that's the that's the delicate dance that is the complexity of our nature. And that's what's missing is the you can't understanding the why. You can't control it. There's no controls. Well, in complexity, you can only create the lines right. and try to organize the chaos as best as possible. As soon as you try to control it, it's like water. It, it goes in so many different directions as soon as I grab a hold of it. I, and I think a, a lot of it has to do with um, the idea of, you know, we say in, in the police world, we teach people to say, stop resisting. That's the first command, stop resisting. And yet, yet as police officers, especially the longer you're in it, if you start to deviate from why you're there, you get more and more, it's just easy to get more and more into control, 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 mm -hmm. and efficiency, because I'm in government, and the mm -hmm. most efficient way for me to do this, blah, blah, blah. And so that, you know, as a supervisor, I've seen that, that be, and as a trainer, that's been a huge problem. And one of the things I, I tell a lot of officers is um, efficiency is the enemy of equality. Mm, that's because a good one. As, as fast as you want to make things go, it doesn't mean it's the fairest thing for you to do or the most just yeah. thing. The hardest thing is sometimes the right thing to do. Oh, it, it absolutely. Takes, sometimes it takes a lot longer. It's a heck of a lot more inconvenient. Yes. And I think what's going on right now is this control and lack thereof of shallow thought because of technology. Um, I'm recently working on, so my phone only has permission to notify me twice a day. Okay. That's did, awesome. did you know you could do that on your iPhone? No. If you have an iPhone no. or, or an Android or whatever you have, you, I could literally have created a rule on my phone that sends me bulk notifications at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Oh my God, That's awesome. it. And then I can put my phone on Do Not Disturb, and only the VIPs on my list actually have access to call me. Wow. That I can, and so there's these controls that you can do right. to help to handle the complexity of your life. Well, you know? And that, again, it involves you not resisting. You're going to get. Yeah. stuff but you haven't resisted it you've just found a way that found you a can way to, to balance it yeah to right. filter it for and, and when i'm even creating this technique called the waiting room right I'm, I'm trying to tell my team hey our minds are like an emergency room every thought that comes into our mind when they're in the middle of something trying to get into deep work and get into all this process doesn't have the right to just come in and interrupt your mind and your thought put it on a list put it on the waiting room and then when you're done with that 60 minute to, to 90 minute block take five minutes and review your waiting rooms to see what's an immediate crisis and what can wait and what's not a crisis at all. That's that's a great a great way to put it. Thanks. Yeah. You gonna write a book on that? I, I probably know. will. I probably will. <laughs> um, but I'm constantly engaging my own mind and learning how do I become a better leader? How to become a better father? How how can I perceive someone else's processing so that I can then dictate a response rather than a reaction? And I think so much of this, probably what we're talking about, is you know, especially kind of segueing even to like what you deal with training crisis. Um, I have a unique mind when I'm actually, maybe, maybe I don't know if this is so unique, but I get, I get hyper-focused when there's a crisis, and I, I have this ability, maybe it's trained, maybe it's natural, maybe it's nurture, I don't know, but um, I, I can almost switch, do a light switch, mm -hmm. and I get, I'm extremely calm when there's a crisis, extremely calm. You probably, you had um, chaos growing up? No. None at all? None. Hmm. None. Well... Fight or flight reactions, because I'm the same way, but I grew up in total chaos. Yeah. So the, the, the tools I showed up with was how to take chaos and stabilize it. Is that fight or flight? That's what's going on? Well, fight or, yeah, fight or flight, there's, um, things seem slower. I'm very familiar with fight or flight. We're struggling with that with our family through the crisis of my wife's pregnancy yeah. with our young kids. I'm seeing it in my children naturally 
one of my sons is a runner, while the other one is a fighter. Mm. And I'm naturally a fighter, I think. Mm. And so, but so that's a fight or flight mechanism that's hitting. Well, if you're in a crisis, in yeah. an actual crisis, yeah, there is a, a fight or flight response, but it's not always, you know, mm -hmm. it's not always like, you know, sweating and shaking and all that, you know. Um, Officers who have been in shootings have reported auditory exclusion. You can't hear anything, but you can see everything, and it's like, you know, it's it's in slow motion, so you yeah. see every single mm -hmm. thing, and you're able to have all these thoughts about, well, if I do this, if I do that, if I do that, and it's all within a nanosecond. I, and I can give you an example. So I got in a really bad car accident four years ago. Um, it was I was We were actually crossing over uh, on Florida, crossing over the bridge coming mm -hmm. up. And horrible area, right? Yeah, there. bad visibility. Bad visibility. This guy cut in front of me, and I immediately avoided because of this natural ability of like hyper focus. My, I've got if I ever seem like I'm. Some people say I look really unapproachable half the time because I'm. I have this intense focus, and people are like I don't want to talk to him. He just and I'm just like no, no. I'm just I'm always in this constant thought mm -hmm. of critical movement in my mind and hyper focus on my shirt. It's just always been a natural thing in me. And so this guy cut in front of me, and I knew within seconds I was like, "He's not. He's going to stop. If I had a head-on collision, we'll have this much probability." All the of death. options. All the yeah, and then I swerve around. And I said, "I think I can." And I, sure enough, I, I I didn't do it, but I took out a fire hydrant and smashed right into a telephone pole going 40 miles an hour. Oof. Right, but I was able to pivot and put the right tire into the thing. So I so even so, all that was processing. Mm -hmm. Right, this just happened. Super relaxed. Right. Didn't even feel the airbag, like it was just super relaxed. I didn't tense up, and it was all within this, the nanosecond, mm -hmm. and that's just how I've always been able to have that type of thinking ever since I was a kid. And was, you, was your parent, were any of your parents like that? Like, no, I don't think so. Mm. It's weird. That's why I've, been, I, I've always just, but my wife says it's scary sometimes, like how calm, like the kid will be, like one of our kids will be choking, and I'll say, oh, it's okay, just get, mm -hmm. and everyone's freaking out, and I'll just have this calmness. And That's a gift. It is, I think. Uh, it's, it allows me to do a lot of the stuff that I do, the high-risk stuff that I do, because I stay very, the higher risk, the more calm I get. Type thing. Well, you might yeah. uh, you might be a, a risk junkie. <laughs> might be. Like me. That's it, right? <laughs> but the whole point that I was making is sometimes it's to like a detriment. Like, and I'm trying to, you know, and this is a ramble, but like even like when I was on the phone call, right? When I call, I called nine one one. I had my front tire ripped off. The fire moved the pole six inches. I mean, it was a bad wreck. And it took thirty minutes for first responders to come out because of how calm I was when I described the accident. Right. And they I, thought it was a fender bender. Uh huh. Yeah. An off duty sheriff was first on the scene and my buddy who I was going to meet for breakfast was a fire, mm. firefighter. He beat everyone there and he had to call again. They called two or three times because they, because, and they were like, dude, you're freaking nature, man. Right. Like, you, like, like you're the only person that survived an accident like this in 20, 30 years. Right. That's what our forensic guy oh, that's, told me. Oh, that sounds brutal. If you're hitting yeah. a fire yeah. and the fire plug went... Right? Yeah. Do you were that's that's yeah, hit the and I moved the and I hit the pole mm -hmm. and moved the pole six inches. Oh god almighty. Yeah, that's uh, that's a yeah. lot of a lot of force right there. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, I got hurt like seven discs on oh, my neck geez. and back. Yeah. And uh, you just don't think about it. You just but that that was so with that, like there's a crisis. So like I, I I'm naturally aware when crisis hit, when things hit I'm naturally, I get focused in and I'm always got this place where I go to hell. Like, mm -hmm. no matter what it is, I'm always in a zone. Of, it's just a natural thing in me. You train a lot of that, right? You train people to think that way and process that way? Or is that something that's trainable? Well, you have to kind of show up wanting to help people. Yeah. I know a lot of cops, you know, most cops don't come from, 
you know, the Leave it to Beaver houses. Most cops come from chaos. Yeah. And we, you know, we want to we wanna bring order to the chaos. So, if, you know, that's what I, I keep saying. you got to remember the why. If you, if you get, it's easy to get caught up in the what, you mm -hmm. know. Um, especially, like, you know, it becomes easy to make arrests about, you know, with certain kind of um, offenses and stuff. And then the more arrests you make, in certain agencies, all of a sudden, you're like a superstar. And so that becomes... But if you forget, wait a minute, I'm here to help people, mm. not put everybody in jail, It's then you, you realize, oh, I deviated. When I first became a cop in the you know early 2000s, we, the um, you know, violence was pretty high. It wasn't as high as it was in, in the 90s. It was going down because of what I was telling you, training, more professional police, technology. But... Um, it was rough, and in the area that I was, you know, learning, it was, um, you know, there was open-air drug markets, there was open-air prostitution, because we didn't have really the internet back then, so everything was out in the street, and so um, it's it's hard, It's as I look back, it's, it's mind-boggling, but I made, personally, about 300 arrests a year. Mm. Wow. There's some agencies that don't make 300 arrests a year. You personally made 300. When I was undercover, because I... Let's talk about your undercover work. Yeah. Can you? Are you allowed to talk about it? I can, to a point, because um, I, I don't want to give away, I don't want to give away certain, you know, tactical ways of, of identifying criminal behavior, but I can tell you about some of the really stupid things I've done. Yes, we could do that too. <laughs> Just, you know, for maybe like four or five minutes, let's talk about some of the craziest undercover work you've done. Well, I... So I got, my first case took me about half an hour to make because I did not know what to say. Because, well, you know, I, I'm gay. And so going to be a, a prostitution decoy, it's men coming up. And I was like, nice car. How's your, how's your family? <laughs> I had 30 minutes later, like, this guy was like, finding like, oh, how much for a poop? And I was like, thank God, thank God you asked me that. That's the crime. So the crime of prostitution is making an agreement to have uh, some kind of sexual act in exchange for something of value. That's it. So all I had to do is just like, you know, they, the, the John, if you will, had to name the act and then over the course of time, either a price or, or something to that effect. So it took me 30 minutes on that first one because I had no clue how to, what to ask or what to, yeah. you know. So it was, that was horrible. I can't even believe, uh, I'm sure that guy pled out because he was probably like, no way. <laughs> But then um, there was like more senior officers who had done the, the decoy work and they gave me some key little phrases to say that kind of sparked the conversation. Yeah. And I was like, at the beginning I was like, oh my god, I gotta say what? And then by the time I was, I'd done it for years and you know, as I got really good at it, I was just like blah, blah. You know, I, one time I got mad at my sergeant, it was freezing outside, it was 30 something degrees. And um, I wasn't feeling good, and my sergeant's like, you got to do this anyway. I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. And he's like, you got to do it. And I'm like, well, i got a little something for you. So I went, and I sat on the bus bench in the area we were doing it, and I didn't talk to anybody. I was like this. I had a mean face. So I, was, I was just mad. And so people finally would, like one guy drove up, and he rolled down his window, and he's like, hey, 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 mama, hey. And I was like, because I didn't want to make a case. I was mad at my sergeant, and he goes, are you dating? And I was I, nope, I'm not looking at him. And then he finally yells out, how much for a blah, blah, blah. I'm like, God damn it, why? <laughs> Everybody comes, makes the arrest, and I'm like, ah, yeah. oh, I did not want to give him an arrest. But, sir, stop yelling that. <laughs> so, uh, in the end, we did like 
I was out there for probably four hours in 30 degree weather, freezing. This guy probably thought I was like, you know, an addict. I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> then my sergeant at the end was like, so let me make sure I understand when you're not feeling well and you don't want to do this, we probably shouldn't do this. And I'm like, yes, you got it. That's funny. You still made one arrest for four, in four hours? Or yeah, what? because I wouldn't talk to anybody. Yeah. They would walk up, but I would, I would just silent trick. Because I was mad. Yeah, interesting. Very mature. Yeah. How old were you when you were doing that? I don't know. It was probably like 32 or something. Yeah. Yeah. What was the most dangerous thing that ever happened when you were undercover, if you're allowed to talk about it? Well, I did get abducted. In a, in okay. <laughs> Funny thing happened. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, um, I used to wear these this mic, and, you know, back in the day, this mic had a battery pack and a wire. And so, you know, it was like this... You know, back in the day of, of beepers, they had beepers that looked like mics, they had cigarette packs. I mean, you know, nobody smokes anymore, nobody has beepers, and it was the bright of the year. There was these weird sunglasses that looked great in 1999, but in 2003, people were like, where are you getting them sunglasses from? <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this particular mic, um, I, you had to like stick it, you stuck it in the back of your bra so that you, nobody could see because you had nowhere to put it. And then you'd run the wire along the front so that you could get good audio. Because um, back in the day, we this agency arrested a, a um, per, baseball personality, and since then it became important if you made a if the for female decoys if we made an arrest on a John, it had to be recorded. Got it. Or they wouldn't believe us. So um, so it's recorded. So I'm talking to him and I'm sweating, and um, there had been like previous times where this thing would like shock you because the sweat would hit the battery and the battery would shock you and in the if the wind blew your your audio was bad so I started like an idiot I started getting into the cars because the audio was better and you know these are misdemeanors okay misdemeanors are you know here's your fine and yeah it wasn't like you know I'm, I'm solving a murder or anything so but I, the audio was better and that's what I was thinking good audio and weirdly my supervisor allowed me to do this so this guy pulls up and um he's about 95 pounds i'm like i can take this guy i'm gonna get him <laughs> so i get into the car and um he's just like this you know not, uh, literally 90 pound dude and we're making the discussion and i do the signal and i, I you know in complacency from all of us because it's pretty complacent for me to get in the car it was real complacent for the officer who was coming to make the arrest didn't have his vest on just had his badge swing around his neck, mm. and it was dark. So all of a sudden, you know, I give the signal, and all of a sudden this guy takes off in the car. And we were in this this one particular trailer park that was like a big U. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't worry about this guy. I was worried about them shooting to stop the car. So please don't shoot me. So um, this guy had just pushed in the cigarette lighter. Remember those? Mm -hmm. And the thing popped out. So I grabbed his hair, yanked him down, put the cigarette lighter to his eye, and I said, Boop, boop, police, stop the car, I'll bring the ride out. And he's like, Rrr. and then, oh I'm, my then I'm talking on the mic, I'm like, don't shoot, don't shoot, everything's cool, don't shoot. So they came and took him out and everything, and I'm like, what, what, I mean, yeah, I made a case on him, but, you know, he was like, I thought we were getting robbed, I thought we were getting robbed. I'm like, we can't charge him with that, because he thought he was saving my life. Oh, wow. Because he thought we were getting robbed because the officer didn't have his vest on. Wow. There was no, like, he didn't see, nobody could see the vest. I mean, the, the, the badge. badge was just hanging there. So he, he got away? No. Well, yeah. we gave him a stern warning. Yeah, yeah. Don't come back here again. And I yelled at the officer that freaked him out. I'm like, where's your vest? Yeah. Because it was hot, that's why. 
Oh man, and that, that's the dangers of it, right? So the guy thought he was helping somebody because right. he thought you're getting robbed, and then oh man, how chivalrous! Yeah, right. You go, but but that's my job is to see where he's at, right? Where are you at? Are you trying to abduct me and don't do bad things? Or are you are you trying to save my life from the robber you thought we had? But in reality, we screwed up. So no, this is your. I'm on my foul. Don't come back. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, right? When you start talking about some like narratives, and that's just a couple experiences you had, right? Um, with that, and and so now with this experience of you thirty years, you know, doing you know public service, still going, um, twenty two as a cop here in Tampa, you're now trying to help companies and and individuals understand crisis management. Yeah. So back in twenty seventeen is when I started thinking about retirement. And I, I've been so, you know, I've been a bomb tech, I did the undercover, I've been a trainer, and I was really, like, just, a, I, I love my agency, I was just immersed. And I knew that I could not just retire and leave without difficulty. Like, mm -hmm. I knew it was gonna affect, affect my heart. Yeah. So I was like, I gotta, I have to start now, to start the transition now. So Veterans Florida, which is an amazing organization, had this like grant for veterans and you could take this entrepreneurship class and so I'm like I probably I want to teach something I guess you know because I've been teaching let me just see what this is about and so I went it was incredible it was um, like the learning curve was like a straight line <laughs> because there was so much for me to learn yeah uh, and um, by the end of that uh, course I had a company I actually had a company incorporated and in a plan and everything else, so I started doing safety training, workplace violence prevention specifically, and because you know, as an undercover officer, as small as I am, I've never lost a fight, wow. which, which means no one's ever gotten away from me except for one guy, and that was my fault because I, again, as when I was undercover, I stepped out of the area because it was freezing and I was trying to get the last case. <laughs> Everything, whenever I'm cold, I make bad yeah, <laughs> decisions. Yeah. So. Um, I stepped out of the area and it was really dark and I made the case, but um, this guy got, I don't know, I was thinking about him, he was thinking about me and he ended up getting in the car and fleeing and we didn't catch him. Turns out he had just carjacked the car and that's what I, you know, I was like, something ain't right about this guy, the behavior cues, he wanted me to get in the back seat. I was like, something ain't right. And he ended up going and was there because I, I wasn't where I was supposed to be. So um, when I was developing the company and trying to come up with the you know minimum viable product, I um, realized it, it, there's so much information that I have over the course of these years that regular people should have. Like I understand behavior cues. I know when an act of violence is about to happen because of my experience with violence. So why shouldn't people? Why can't I just tell you what to mm -hmm. look for? Wouldn't that make you safer? Yeah. So what what companies are your 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 demographic that you try to go help? Well, I uh, when I first started, I had um, contracts with two county departments, and so it was over five hundred students. And then um, a school, I did a, a safety training for the school. Their entire God bless the principal because she had every single every teacher, every administrator, even the maintenance crew there because wow. it really has to be organizational, and they have. They're like the poster children because they created this own their their culture of safety. They started doing things like um, when they did fire drills. Because my big thing is it's really teaching decision making, and so um, they started incorporating that by when they had a fire drill, uh, one of the administrators would stand, you know, in the in the way of where the teacher would take the kids and say the fire's here now. What do you do? 
So within the drills, they were making them, you know, make decisions. Mm. And so, like, it's pretty amazing. I have a, a testimonial on my website from that school. And then from one of the county departments I did, there was a lady who, um, this is, this is like, if I, this is the only thing I ever do in my life, I feel like I'm, I'm fulfilled. This lady uh, was a clerk for the county, but also a clerk at the Greyhound station. And um, I was talking about, you know, let me give you permission. When your gut tells you something's wrong, something's wrong. Yeah. Because you have, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of experience with humanity. So don't discount it. Mm-hmm. And, and so was talking about different, you know, behavior cues, what indicates maybe an imminent attack, all those kind of things. So she was working at the Greyhound station one night, and um, this man came in with a bag, which is pretty normal for a bus station, but something wasn't right. And something wasn't really right, to the point that she actually separated all the passengers that were in the, in the depot with this guy, and kind of, you know, pretty quietly moved them to another room and called the police. And by the time the police got there, he had pulled out a gun and he was trying to take um, hostages. She had, she had completely neutralized his ability to do that and the police were able to take him into custody. Nobody got shot, nobody got hurt because this lady trusted her gut. Hmm. And, and so he didn't realize he was alone. No, because he was, you know, he was mentally ill. Yeah. So he wasn't, he didn't see her put them in a different room. He's, like by the time he was ready, he was like talking to himself and all this other kind of stuff. And by the time he was ready, there wasn't anybody to take. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. I was really, I was amazed. So in, any company can hire you. Y- yes, to yes to a degree. The thing is that it really has to be an organizational thing. Um, and and I'm I got into crisis management because um, it seems like my whole my whole mindset is uh, is you have to have a holistic approach to safety. You know, you can you can um, do things to harden the target, right, and then walk away from it. It doesn't mean, you know, you can't control the, one of the most common types of violence that happens in the workplace is domestic violence. Now, you may hire the greatest employee of all time, but you cannot control who they love. Mm-hmm. And so you cannot control. You can have all the locks and all the doors. But, you know, if your employee is married or, or you know, dating somebody who's a total psychopath, you cannot control that. So that person coming in, you haven't, you know, prepared anybody for any of that. But if you can prepare your, your organization for, you know, what, what behavior cues are. And as supervisors, if you develop a, a management mindset of, I am your guardian. Because aren't CEOs guardians? Yeah. Absolutely they are. Not only are they guardians, they're guardians of everybody's livelihood. They're mm-hmm. guardians of all, of all their customers, what they're doing. They're guardians, you know, their legacy. The legacy matters. Mm-hmm. So, with that in mind, like I, that's been, and that's how I've, like, developed as a supervisor and as a leader myself. I've always, you know, I became better at it when I started thinking, realizing, you know, if I just can't, I don't, I don't have to worry about anything at the top. I'm gonna do my job best my ability. That's gonna take care of itself. I really have to let me focus on the people that are entrusted to me, and let me just make sure this team works. And so. That is, that's about making sure it's a, um, there's an emotional safety there. And I have really, really worked hard to try to develop the ability for people to come and disagree with me respectfully. Yeah. So that I don't make dumb decisions. And I'm really clear about, listen, if, if I, you know, if I make a decision and you know information that makes you think I shouldn't be making that decision, respect me, care for me enough, and tell me about it. 
I want to know. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's better ways for me to do this. I want to know. If we're in the moment and we're taking, you know, we're taking fire, and I give you an order, that's different. But like, we're trying to figure out, you know, how to deploy people for because, I don't know, we have a mad litterer or something, or mm-hmm. or shoplifters or whatever. Yeah, we could, that's open for discussion. Yeah. Give me your experience. Help me make better decisions. And that's um, you have to feel safe. You have to feel safe mm-hmm. on your own. And that's you know, I've been in hundreds of fights. I worked in when I was in that undercover job. We worked undercover um, for certain days, but on the weekends we were in um, the entertainment district. And I was in fights at least three or four fights a night. That was such a a training. I mean, that was like a proving ground. And as little as I am, so I really started to learn like you know the easiest ways to get people into custody. Because statistically, the quicker you take them into custody, the less likely anybody is to get hurt. So, I mean, it was, it was that unit was 20 men and me, and I had like you know six minutes of experience. Hi, I'm new. <laughs> <laughs> so they were all very, very good about teaching me things, how to how to do interviews. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just so lucky to be part of that, and it has informed almost everything I've done in that world. That's awesome. Yeah. Do we hit everything on your list or no? No. So, okay. So, oh, well, let me tell you about how crisis management came. So, yeah. 2017 is when I, when I got to go to this program and I started the Doer Academy. And um, I had to take on a partner because I'm a public servant. I don't charge anybody for anything. Mm-hmm. So, one of my best friends, she's kind of looking for something, you know, um, a, a little bit different to kind of fulfill her. And she, she recognized the value of let's teach people how to be safe. But she, and she's an actual business person. I'm I'm a public servant. So like people would come and say, I got this problem. How sh- how can I, you know, how can I make this more safe? And I'd be like, Well, what you do is, and she's like, Stop. Zip you it. charge for it. We charge for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my bad. So she was able to. Um, there was a man in Collier County who heard about our, the school safety stuff, and he wanted to. Um, he wanted to fund the school safety program I had for every single private school in Collier County. Great, I mean, yeah. two years in the making, a fantastic contract. Well, that's 2019. What what happened in 2019? COVID hits. Yeah. So not only did COVID hit, civil unrest. Mm-hmm. So now I'm my choice is: do I focus on my company or do I put that away, and and trust that it'll be there? Because I've made a lot of connections. I've you know I've, I've put a lot of stuff out there, planted some seeds, and I got to focus on my city. So that's what I did. So two years later. I, I kind of hang the shingle out again, and I'm like, let me just dip my toe in it, yeah. and people remember me, and people recommend mm-hmm. me again, and they're like, oh, welcome back, welcome back, and, and even new new markets, um, I got into up, realtor yeah. safety. Welcome yeah. Up. You know, I know. Oh, that's a big thing. That's oh, a huge thing. all the time, yeah. Yeah, you, I mean, you know, my wife's a realtor, it's, so, you know, yeah, as an investor and builder, I mean, yeah. people break into houses, a lot of times I'm, I'm in there. Right. When but, I, you know, I go, I, I don't. Unfortunately, I probably should wait, but I usually don't wait. No. I go in. Right. <laughs> well, there's like simple things like, um, you know, you can call 911 and not say a word and just leave it open. Mm-hmm. And if it's on your cell phone, we'll find you. Yeah. So that a lot of the realtors I talked to had no idea. Like, you know, they get that hinky feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's why, if you get the hinky feeling, don't go in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, a lot. A lot of it is like I don't want to call the cops yet. Let's just right. let's just go in. Maybe, but the camera, the cameras, the cameras have really helped us out because now yeah. we can actually see we have these cellular cameras. Right. It's helped. I'm, I'm not um, on on the ground as much anymore. I've yeah. only I only went in, in one time this last go around uh, the last year. 
This broker, the broker hired me to train um, 20 realtors for. Wow. It was like a, I don't know, I guess it's a gift they do. Mm -hmm. I'm not a business. We can connect you with a bunch of those actually here in Tampa. Yeah, There'll it was more and more of those. The the people I talked to, they they really liked it. And I did another safety class where this um, lady ended up. She, I, I always recommend MMA because it's like you don't have to be big, you don't have to yeah. be strong. You know, it's it's using you know your brain and and then what's coming at you. Um, and this lady ended up taking MMA classes. I was like, that's awesome. Right on. That's awesome. <laughs> so the crisis management is. For, for the way I teach it is um, crisis management for startups. And that's the last thing anybody thinks when they're, when yeah. they're doing a startup, right? Like I need my financial plan, I need my operations plan. Mm -hmm. But what happens if something unprecedented happens? And I'll tell you, I got a chance to meet, um, this guy's name is uh, Michael Griffin, and he's the CEO of Combat Flip Flops. Um, amazing story, he was an Army Ranger, Iraq, Afghanistan vet, and um, he developed a company when he got out where he, he, he had the factories in these um, places, like in Afghanistan, where um, he was able to let women come into the factories and the money that, that part of the money he was making was going back towards education. That was the mission. And what happened in 2021, we pulled out of Afghanistan, all of it. So now we, no Americans can go into Afghanistan. So it effectively shut down his entire supply line. This guy, talk about a model of crisis management. He had to redevelop, or he had to, yeah, redevelop a supply line down in South America. But he had um, enough connections to su to support him, and he had um, really good thinking on his feet and really good people that were working with him, where he was able to pivot. And Combat Flip Flops is is doing great. This guy, if you ever have a chance to look at that website and read about their story, they're, they're yeah, incredible. I'd love to. That's awesome. Uh, it's fan. He talked about that's where I I heard about him. Uh, when he had a speaking, I was an MC for this thing, and he's speaking, and I was like, oh my god, it's amazing. On you, Brad. I've got about 11 minutes. <laughs> 11, this has been a phenomenal podcast. <laughs> I mean, I, I just love, I love your energy, I love your experience, and just how genuine your heart is, and just wanting to help, and, and uh, I mean, just thank you for, for your service to our community and our country, and, and uh, I'm honored to have you a part of Crest, too. I'm, and just, I'm really glad to be here. This is uh, the energy here is so, it's peaceful. That's and, awesome. And but, but it's also stimulating. Yeah. Yeah. So why did you join Crest? This podcast room. Really? Yeah. Number one reason. Yeah. It's a dope podcast studio. I'm gonna join. Yeah, I saw you had all this stuff. I, I don't know all this, but you had it already set up and everything. And so the next venture is is a podcast I'm developing. Um, like I was telling you, there's. I'm lucky to know some people that have amazing stories, and I feel like their stories have inspired me and helped me to toe the line. Mm -hmm. That I want to, I want to share those stories. So it's gonna, it's really more, more than, or not a uh, like a podcast like you have here. You know what? It's really it's just a series. I just yeah. want to put that series out there, and let other people learn from that because it's all about disruption. You know, I told you I grew up pretty violent, violent you know area in a violent household, in. If it, if it hadn't been for the army, I probably would have been in prison. Because mm. I, you know, idle hands are the devil's play things, mm -hmm. have a lot of energy, and nothing constructive to do with them. <laughs> yeah. Until I joined the army, and then the army gave me purpose. Mm -hmm. So these these people came into my life and disrupted me off this path, this self-destructive path that I was on, and put me on this path to becoming, of all things, a police officer that I never thought I'd be. And it turned out it's probably the only thing I ever could have really done well. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. 
What have you gotten out of Crest that you weren't expecting to get out of Crest? Coffee's great. Okay, good coffee. <laughs> this is wasn't expecting good coffee. Master roaster, yeah. yeah. Um, and meeting you guys, like the people, that's what it's all about. You meet people that, and you, you get edified. You get new information and, you know, you get a chance to, to hear different things and, and um, all of that. It all, like, the connection is, is key. The connection is what's going to save this country. It's what's going to save this world. People getting back to being connected again. And, and, you know, whether I agree with somebody or don't agree with somebody or whatever it is, the fact that we can have conversation. I've already had a few conversations with people that one guy, one guy, um, he's got a startup and, and, and another guy ha has, it's more than a startup and he's like opening up a new, um, I, I think he's opened up a new, he's like trying to grow the business. So there's two different mm -hmm. places, but I'm, just, I'm getting all, you know, and it informs me too as a public servant. Because I'm, I'm, I'm really, that brain is much bigger than the entrepreneurial brain. I, yeah. I just want to help people be safe and I, I need help charging people for so you're being yeah so you're being exposed to like different a different style of leadership and different portion of society as entrepreneurs and, and the levels that you know that a that a corporation takes mm -hmm. or an enterprise because there's probably some nonprofit people here too yeah so whatever there's the organization several. is yeah the you know some are in the the startup phase some are in growth you know some some people are like kicking it and they just need a high space level that, yeah 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 we have everyone right from, like literally high like super super high level right all the way down to man i just need to if i could just pay my bills this would be really good i started right. my, you know my company six months ago and i don't know if i'm gonna start that's and everything in between right and so 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 that's what you're getting out of that you weren't expecting so you're like hey this is a really cool podcast studio i'd rather not go spend all this money in my right. house they've already done it here and it's fairly affordable right i'm gonna it's do this set up pretty nice yeah. yeah yeah and then but what you got out of it was some like authentic relationships and yeah. community of just like well i didn't realize this was here and really really good coffee really yeah really really, really good we love our coffee <laughs> the coffee is the glue yeah that keeps us going you have to have something that glues you together and i thought the most, the healthiest vice that we could find was coffee oh wow yeah yeah when you think of it all these other spaces are, are held together through alcohol or restaurants oh and spaces speaking of spaces your event space yeah too. that's i plan on using your event space that's going to be part of my growth that's awesome using the event space for um not only courses but um Again, I'm lucky to know people with amazing stories, and I want to do a summit yeah. and bring these people together for, for people to, to hear their stories and how how they were in, you know, you can you can be in a hole. All you need is one other person to help, you know. That's it. Help you out of the hole. That is it. You can't do it alone. And then, and then you, when you're in that position, reach down and help other people out of the hole. That's yeah. it. Well, I mean, the space, like I've even said this in our videos, like an intro video that I, that I did, and it's really ancillary. Everyone's fine. What I love about this is everyone is finding ways to use this space that I would have never imagined in a million years. So wow, I would have never. That was a great idea. I'm really glad you thought of that. Let's expound on how that they use that. That's cool. Wow. Let's, let's, let's. What else can we do to give people tools to be successful? And your lunch, yeah. the lunch idea of getting people together. Yeah. That's a great. Yeah. The networking too. Yeah. Yeah. Just natural. And the goal is just a serendipity. Thank you for your service. Cause well, Connecting people is pretty important that. in this yeah. day and age. Yeah, these encur the, the, these interviews and things, they really encourage me because it's like it, it, this is my, my market facing activity. Because we we this is our first time really we met each other one time by right. the printer. Yeah, I said, hey, I'm Jeremy. I don't think we've met. Right. And you go, I'm Felicia. 
who are you? Or someone. <laughs> it's like, that's awesome. I, I own the place. Thanks for the printer. Yeah, right? And, uh, and th that's just the coolest part for me is like, wow, hitting 66 members. You go, man, this is really, since September, and just already knowing the impact. And, and, and you'd probably don't, I mean, for me, it's like I, I really, I have a 200 year vision with this. Wow. As I really do. And, and, and that is that 200 years from now, people will know our legacy, but won't know our names. Mm -hmm. And being a first generation wealth builder, who, and wealth building is very relative, by the way. Wealth building does always, doesn't always mean you have a lot of cash. Right. You know, uh, sometimes it's tied up in equities and you, you, know, you can't access your cash right away. Right. I got to do a series on that, uh, teach people how, to, how that works um, half the time. But uh, it, it's this whole thing. It was like I realized just through looking through the lens of 10, 20, 30, 40 year lens into my 70s and 80s that economically everything I, I was working towards I've been working for in my 30s I'd already arrived at a certain point mm -hmm. that my grandkids would be set up if, I, if nothing major traumatically happened to me I right. mean it, economically everything we, we were already on that path so when I got the call for this place to be demolished or or turn it into I had to think of something that's like this uh -huh. and uh, it, my heart started going how do I serve and give back how do I help elevate other people's thinking the way that people have done that for me? How do I make our culture that's made us successful and just open it up to other people to experience that? And that's how this was all birthed. I love it. And um, you, but you, you're hitting it on the head. Crisis management. Like, what's your crisis management plan? Because you're a guardian, right? You're mm -hmm. guardian of the people. Yeah. Not only that that work here for. For you, but that come here. And the members, yeah. Because you're you are elevating mm -hmm. your legacy matters. You yeah. already see that. What are you doing to protect your future? Yeah, that's why crisis management is important. Absolutely. Because we know now unprecedented things happen. Oh, they do. We have to we have to talk offline on some of that stuff because there's there's different things and you always think you got it, but then there's something that comes and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that was a crisis that was going to hit. Right. And you you know there's you're, it's I don't think you ever arrive at crisis management fully. I think no, it's no. always evolving. Yeah, and to to just imagine you know the way I start my courses every course no matter what industry is. What's the worst thing that can happen to you today? Yeah. And let's, let's figure out ways to mitigate it. Yeah. There's so many, you know, depending if you're a manufacturer, if you are a solopreneur, you know, whatever it is you're in, yeah. there's always, if you can come up with the with the um, plan for this event, when it happens, you're covered because everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Yeah. When you're not covered, everybody's in chaos mm -hmm. and you might not recover. That's true. And there goes your legacy. Last question for you. I kind of warned you about this. Okay. So, so how... One, am I failing miserably just as a leader and as an entrepreneur and as the head of this thing and just in general, like how is how are what can we do better? I I don't think I'm qualified to tell you how to do anything better, but that's awesome. Continue. But if you could, um, and I don't know that you want to do this. Like maybe part of your structure is not being so um, visible. But if you did more, like uh, I don't know promoting or, or getting your name out there you might get more people but I don't know that you want that so it's it's the hardest part is and this is something we can we're probably going to do even like coaching courses and things like that for young entrepreneurs the hardest part is the crawl stage when you're ready to walk and run right and so um, we're almost there we've pretty much done zero advertising Not because right. our, our infrastructure if we advertised what we do extremely well 
I don't know if we can do sustainably well without the proper infrastructure. Right. So that's what this is for. I get you. Um, now, then, then I, but we know we need to. You know, we do need to do that. So how would we get the word out more? How would who do you know? And that, this is kind of where we're actually coming with this. Right. This is called more organic guerrilla position of like, hey, like I said, we're limiting the amount of memberships every mm -hmm. month to like ten. And so, and then what we're about to do to get the word out more is like, hey, you're part of the first early adopters, the first 60, 65 people. Who do you know in your Rolodex that you think mindset-wise gets this? It's ready to implement health in every aspect of their life, right? Who do you know? And then how do we serve you? What do you want to do here? And it's and just driving in and, and us really focusing. Now, we're about to hit it, though. Right. right. So we, we, I just found out like our three key initiatives, and that's that's always the goal you, you, is your prototyping. You've got that. Yes, um, kinetic, It's ready to go. Yeah, ah. yeah. and I, I actually use an analogy a lot. You're, you're, you have to you have to get ready. You have to build the slingshot and then test it, and then it's going to break. Right. Then you fix it, and then you and then you fire it. Right. And then you aim. Right. And you go and see where it hit. It's just like sighting in anything. Right. Um, but yeah, so so how what how so we're failing at getting the word out. I've heard that a lot. But I don't think it's failing though. That's that's it is failing. I will be honest. So. We just don't we are working our on our on our infrastructure, our sales cycle infrastructure. It was mm -hmm. the hardest thing that was our our last broken thing. We've been working on it for the last month, the, the these infrastructure, the sales system and funnel. Mm -hmm. And that is the hard just building the the catch basin. Weekends. That would help me weekends? out personally if you could yeah. open up on yeah. weekends. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then the question is, if we opened up on weekends, would the cafe have to be open? Would the staff have to be here? No, because I, I, I would want weekends to be in here. Okay. Gotcha. We are thinking about rolling out like a 24-hour membership. Well, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of, we have a, a small one with the, with the, the mastermind suites. Um, but yeah, definitely, and just trying to analyze how to do that. The reason why we haven't is because it's been a test, mm -hmm. and also, honestly, risk associated. So we're trying to oh yeah nat naturally figure out how to get the risks, of, you know. And so we're working on heavily working on our check-in system right now, um, keeping the doors locked where members have to check in, have their own key on their phone, all that stuff that we've been. And that's why we haven't exploded the hours. But the buildings have now become fully automated. So right, we're, we're right. very close. They can unlock themselves, the cameras, everything. I don't know if you noticed, we do have quite a bit of cameras I have noticed, for security. Yes. And I noticed that safe. this door is locked. You can't get back in unless you... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've noticed all that. Yeah, all that's intentional. Kind of what I do. Yeah, and you can thank my brother for a lot of that. Well, the this, army guy. That's right. Well, that's we should funnel funnel. everyone through here and then keep this door locked. But he did it like this. He knife-handed you and said, we need to funnel people through here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah, no, it's exactly. Yeah, I it's like it. and we need we can't do that. And then he's also big on the network security and all nine yards. Yeah. So oh, yeah. we're rolling. We're it's pretty secure right now. But we're getting ready to roll out another network security. Oh, wow. Um, to help because we have a really strong network. And we want to make sure that it's safe for everyone. That's great. On it, but um, yeah, those are some things that we're working on. But so the biggest failure is that we're uh, we just people just don't know about us. But it's a, but I think it's managed. I don't think it's a failure. I think it's um. It, I I wondered if it wasn't part of the plan. It, it's okay to limit while you while you you know perfect what you got, and then you you know like you're saying build the infrastructure. Eighty percent perfection's hard. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, you gotta have the infrastructure in place, otherwise yeah. you know a lot of angry people because there's not, not everything's not right. Yeah, you know. So that, and that that is the next question is like we are getting to this point where events are coming up to a floodgate because that's what we're realizing we can serve really well that there's a lot there's not a good space like our space. 
Yeah, hardly anywhere. It's more than one space too. You, that's the thing is you have a smaller space and here. A large space. You have uh, uh, yeah the big large space over there, but you also have um, mm -hmm. conference rooms. Yeah. And even the space upstairs, you have the table and stuff. Mm -hmm. You could you could actually do a course there. And we're it, doing more of that in the other building. They're actually doing that right now. Yeah, it feels like you could have an intimate space or you could have a big. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So that's that's where we're heading. We're kind of really level downing on the events, specifically retreats, trainings, seminars, conferences, a lot of that stuff, like what you're talking about. Um, and I, I, so again, I, I, I it's what do we advertise, you know? Right. And realizing that's probably our best bet for mass advertising is a really great event space. Yeah. And then really setting up this interview process of only ten members a month, and they're creating a waiting list. That, so that's we can a, serve our members well. I think that's how you keep the quality of the connections. Mm -hmm. Because if you know, I've been in several co-working spaces, and I didn't like. I just quit a gym because there was too many people all around me. Yeah. You know, there there is quality to um, discernment. Like it's important. Yeah, I mean, we want to scale this. The goal is ten years to be have one hundred fifty of these in ten years. Right. And I don't know if you knew that or not. No, that's great. Yeah. But yeah. I, I imagine you you'd kind of use a Quaker business plan where you're not going to put a thousand people in a building because it you know that's the best pay. You're gonna you know you hit one hundred fifty people or whatever, then you then you have another building. Well, there's yeah, there's, there's a lot of it's going to be through technology, through reservation, and the ability of knowing. Uh, and this space is used really like a third space. It's a little desire of it, and so some people use it all the time. Um, and some people only use it every quarter. Mm -hmm. Some people, so it's more, it's like a gym. Right. And so that's why we're trying to create more online opportunities as well. But technically the facilities could host up to 2,000 members. That's great. Which is really cool, but because how people are using it. And so that's, right now without any other, without opening up the other building, uh, we're about 565, I think, that we can, that we counted off of our parking and our seats that oh, wow. we could actually have as members. And then our technology allows people to actually come in and, and know ahead of time if they, there's a seat that they can reserve or oh, book a room and those type of things. So we're Especially just if you expand your hours, then you know, then you don't really have to worry about the overcrowding. Because mm -hmm. that's, I think a lot of people, nobody wants somebody right, you know, over yeah. your shoulder. You're trying to. Yeah, it's like eighty percent. I'm trying to fail safely over here, please. Don't watch me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's all, you know, and then and then making this. This has been a great interview. I've learned a lot from you. Um, I've learned a lot from this. you. Yeah, this is. It's amazing. Ryan, what'd you think, bud? Yeah, that's a thumbs up. All right, cool. You didn't give a thumbs down. That's, that's good. Now, Ryan's the man. Ryan's the man behind the camera. He roll his eyes. That's and he does a phenomenal <laughs> job with these edits. Um, again, let's uh, let's take a look at the Doer. Or so it's www.doer-academy.com. Um, by all means, check out Felicia. Do you have an Instagram or anything like that? Uh, it is uh, not. I don't have a uh, professional well, for, Okay, just, just personal me, one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so as she rolls out stuff, I mean, absolutely, anyone who has a company, who uh, has organizations, this is a huge thing to, to focus on, is just that the risk, and it's not just, it's not just like active shooters risk, it's supply chain risk. It's right. All types of risks what associated with business. What the CEO has a heart attack today? Yeah, what type of insurance can you carry? Right. What type of those type of things. Yep. So, I'm uh, very excited to, to make some more connections with you, and uh, thank you again for being my guest today. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for being such a valuable member here, and... You just make Crest what it is. Thanks. So thank you for taking the time. But thanks again for tuning in. So let's get coffee. Tune in every Wednesday. See ya.